This time on Satellite Stories, we're back from Antarctica with plenty of tales to share. She asked if I was Jez the Wi-Fi person. <laughs> I said, I said, yeah, I'm Jez the Wi-Fi person, yes. And she straight away, she just held my hand. She says, thank you so much for this capacity and this Wi-Fi. She says, it's the first time since the war started that I've been able to FaceTime with my family and my friends back in Ukraine. And she just stood there holding my hand. You know, it's it's an amazing thing that we could do, you know. So those are the sort of stories where, you know, SES's hashtag is take your story anywhere. But we, we really did that this time. Yes, we, when we, we're talking about the capacity we provide, we provide you know, a footprint here, we provide throughput here, we provide equipment here, but it, it's what happens to the people, I think, and that's the part that puts all this together for me. Coming up, how SES is helping a polar explorer live stream from his expedition across Antarctica. Welcome to Satellite Stories. I'm your host, Christina Smith-Meyer. In our last episode, we shared our vision with you. The vision to help the polar explorer Robert Swan and the team at 2041 Foundation share their expedition across one of the most remote parts of the planet. Those plans were bold. Live streaming to thousands of schoolchildren, ensuring hundreds of participants and the crew would be able to stay connected to their friends and family back home all while documenting their travels and the aim to spread a wider message about the impact climate change is having? Whew, I mean, it certainly is an ambitious task. So as promised, on this episode of Satellite Stories, we're letting you know what happened, not just reinforcing the dream we had, but sharing the reality. And in truth, the success of the mission is mostly thanks to one man and his team, Jez Draycott. Based out of Amsterdam, Jez is VP of Sales Engineering at SES, and he's the person responsible for managing the team of segment sales engineers who designed a diverse range of technical solutions. And what a solution did he have to create here? By the way, if you'd like to know more about why SES was supporting such a mission, then it's worth pausing this episode and listening to part one of this mini-series, where you can hear Amber Ledgerwood discussing SES's work on its social and environmental impact, as well as the explorer Robert Swan himself on why he chose to partner with SES. But on this episode, we want to get into the how. How did Jez and the team enable capacity to connect in such a remote place? What impact did that have on him personally? And how might that shape our company's future in the way it reports on carbon emissions? Anyway, Enough from me, let's get on with it. This is a story that will give you goosebumps, both with his words and by listening back to some of the videos he captured while on board. Enjoy. Jez, you have just come back from what I can only imagine is a trip of a lifetime. Tell me, where did you go and how long have you been gone for? Yeah, so thank you, Christina. So you're exactly right. It, it really was a trip of a lifetime. So. Back on March the 12th, I, I left Amsterdam and uh, traveled down to Ushuaia, uh, right at the south of Argentina. And the, the aim of the trip was to travel down to the Antarctic Peninsula with the 2041 Climate Force Expedition Team to really promote Antarctica and the protection of Antarctica. So it was, a, it was an amazing trip. It took us about 25 hours to literally get down to the, the airport in Ushuaia um, 
SES was supporting the expedition with capacity. So what we did was we, we allocated around about 36 megahertz of capacity on our SES-6 satellite for the duration of the trip. And this, this capacity basically improved the, the connectivity on the vessel from, historically it was around about 6 by 3 megabits, and we bumped that up to about 50 by 13 megabits. And this enables HD streaming live from the vessel to really, to really take the story of Antarctica to people around the world. Good, good. Wow, a quick live Instagram where we've still got connectivity. Hey, so this is us leaving a swire. So you see in the background, the uh, Marshall Glacier, this is the Beagle Channel that we're in at the moment. Uh, it's actually hot today, so it's going to get colder. We do about 60 miles. Um, and, and you're right, it was an amazing experience. I was away for about three weeks. And, and to be honest, it wasn't just Antarctica. Initially, it was just to see some icebergs and some penguins. I was super excited about that. However, when you get there, it is just awe-inspiring, you know. And, and Robert Swan, the, the, the expedition leader, he was meeting him and the rest of the team was a bit of a highlight, I'll be perfectly honest. That first week working with the team and getting everything ready in Ashwire before we set sail for Antarctica was inspiring, you know, working with people who were driven, who have goals. You know, it was it was amazing to be part of that that team. And 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 we worked super hard prior to the hundred and fifty guests turning up sort of five days later. That's so exciting and I have so many follow up questions for you. Um but let me start with Tell us, how did you actually prepare for the trip? I mean, I imagine that you had to do some shopping and buy equipment. I mean, unless you happen to travel to the Arctic in your spare time. <laughs> exactly right. So there was there were two ways to prepare. Like you say, it was there was my personal preparation, and then there was my professional preparation because my my primary role on the vessel was really to support the satellite connectivity and ensure the live the live streams were were super successful. So the preparation professionally meant that they had to test everything prior to even you know leaving Amsterdam. So there was a lot of remote working, a lot of pressure for those first weeks prior to the expedition. And believe it or not, we, we started talking about this project in March of 21. We actually got on the vessel in March 22, but we didn't, even we didn't manage to test the, the, the service until about three weeks prior to the expedition. There were lots of challenges. Um, so as you can imagine, it was it was quite stressful leading up to the expedition because everything was booked and we just couldn't test it due to technical challenges. So that preparation was very important. We managed to test, it went well. And then to, to back that up, I had to then make sure I had enough camera equipment. I had to learn about, you know, mics, levels, booms, you know, camera settings, streaming details on social media. All of that I had to learn super quick before the, before the expedition started. And on a personal note, you're right. I mean, the shopping list to go to Antarctica is quite large and, and very different to your regular wardrobe. So I spent the sort of last couple of weeks prior to that hunting around um, the internet, trying to buy thermals, snow boots. Um, the Explorers Passage team did provide us with a great sort of kit list. So it's just a case of ticking a lot of that off, really. Um, but yeah, it was... Uh, having to pack things, but then be quite, you know, efficient in that because we could only take a single bag 
onto the vessel uh, and there was a weight limit so yeah everything was packed and then repacked and then repacked and then repacked so yeah it was uh, a lot of preparation well, what was the weight limit on that bag that sounds crazy you can only take one bag it wasn't it was it was really the size of the bag you can imagine that when we got on the vessel you're in a small cabin and you share that cabin with somebody else so you can't have a huge big you know firm suitcase it had to be something where you take your clothes out and it's a soft bag that you can then slide under the bed and pack away and i think it was a 90 liter bag that we were limited to so yeah oh my goodness you couldn't, you couldn't turn up with your delcy suitcase put it that way no so then before you you headed out there i mean what were you feeling excited nervous obviously it was the first time you were going down to antarctica but it sort of sounds like it was the first time ses was providing this kind of connectivity to that location is that right Exactly right. Yeah, this was this was quite far south. The location, we the furthest south we went, I think, was about minus seventy. Uh, so it's something that we we can provide connectivity there, but to provide enough connectivity to form live feeds isn't something we've kind of done. And these were HD feeds we were passing off the vessel. But you're right. I mean, what was I feeling? <sighs> Excited, nervous, yes. But I'll be honest to say, I was quite apprehensive. Again, you mentioned that it's. You know, it's a big thing to go to Antarctica. People like to do the seven continents and Antarctica is always the last one that they get to, to sort of tick off that list. And for me, it was when you when you sort of put it into scale, what was happening, it was a big thing. You know, and I was quite apprehensive about, again, making sure the technology worked, but then also representing SES. You know, we had 150 participants on board and it was my job to sort of promote SES as well. So all of these things together it made a bit apprehensive and you know you, I imagine people listening to this podcast are the same we've been we've been locked in COVID you know for quite a long time and that that sensory overload going from a, a lockdown situation to probably one of the most visual places on the planet was was apprehensive you know no no question about that yeah it must have been quite emotional it, it was at times you know when you were sitting there you know even on deck you know you'd be there and the first thing that we had to do was transit through the Drake's Passage, and that's a that's a six hundred mile, a six hundred nautical mile trip south. And you can either have a, a Drake's Lake where it's super calm, or you can have a Drake Snake where it's very very rough seas. And a one to ten, I think the, the the crew said that we were on about a seven when we went down there. So it was it was pretty big waves, about twenty twenty foot waves that we saw, and a lot of people were sick, confined to their cabins. I was, I must admit, I was super apprehensive about that. But luckily, I, I took, I took one seasickness pill before I set off, and I was fine. And I think, you know, the the one thing I noticed was that I had a job to do. I had to get the satellite connectivity working. I had to sort out the Wi-Fi accounts for a lot of people. We had to do testing. So I spent about three hours of that first part of Drake's Passage, locked in a server room with the IT engineer on board. And we had a job to do and we had to kind of, yeah, manage the, manage the waves as best we could in a small server room. So that, I think, really helped me. We are live, I think. I think it worked. <laughs> that was miles away. So we're live here on the Ocean Victory. As you can see, it's uh, rocking and rolling and it is freezing. And I'm here today with our celebrity guest star, Hi, all man. the way from the United Arab Emirates. It's Mr. Winston Cowie. Good morning. Steve-O. Good morning, Steve-O Robbins. How are you, sir? Ah, it is cold here today, guys. I'm going to show you this super quick. Uh, here we go, button press. Right. So this is 
uh, Drake's Passage. As you can see, we have officially snow. My tiny little diddy feet footprints. And uh, this is the Drake's Passage. A lot of people have been super sick. Uh, actually, apart from me and Winston, I think, right? Everyone else has been sick, right? So I, think, I think everyone else has been sick as a dog. And yeah, yeah, we managed to have sea legs, which is pretty good. But you can see... Uh, you can see how kind of windy it is at the moment. We're at the back of the ship at the moment, so we're pretty sheltered. But you can kind of see when you get to this point, it becomes super, super windy. So this is the train for you. Oi, oi, oi. So yeah, as you can see, the back of the vessel is a lot better than the front of the vessel. Morning, Mr. Mark Hernandez, how are you? Oh my goodness! So, so you 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 had distraction for when these crazy waves were going on because that sounds quite scary. It was, yeah. I mean, that there were I was out of the hundred and fifty people, I would say that probably seventy percent were just in their cabins for the first probably twenty four thirty six hours. It was uh, it was pretty rough, you know. You you had to hang on, you know, with at least one hand on the vessel. It was. Uh, and we weren't allowed outside. They they locked all of the uh, the outer decks after a while because it just was it was really rough. Um, but yeah, for me, I had a job to do, so it kind of took my mind off it. And then after that, I got my sea legs, and yeah, I was I was super lucky. Oh wow, yeah, that that does sound scary. Um, but th there was one thing that I was meaning to ask you. So obviously, you've been asked on behalf of your job to go out and do this amazing thing. Um, who actually was the person? to come and say, hey, Jez, we have a job for you to do and you're going to have to go to Antarctica. I mean, what was your reaction? Did your, did your jaw hit the floor? I can only imagine. <laughs> it did. So, again, as, as I mentioned, we, we contacted in March of 2021 and the story's quite an interesting one is that Robert Swan, as I say, he's, he contacted his, um, his contacts in Colt Communications and due to the connectivity requirements on the vessel, Colt had a relationship with uh, JP Hemingway. So Colt, Colt contacted JP. JP said, sure, you know, we can certainly look at this. And then uh, as part of the solutions engineering team here, JP contacted me and said, do you think there's something we can do? So yes, I, I kind of dropped what I was doing and had a quick look at it and thought maybe we could figure something out. So we did work on this for about 12 months and the, the original plan Christina was to have a live feed from the vessel in November to COP26 in Glasgow that was always the original plan but unfortunately due to COVID the November expedition was cancelled so in that case I kind of said to Robert and the team okay it was nice working with you but yeah one of those things and then we had a call back in December Robert um, called SES back with the ESG team with Amber and said, look, we're going to go in March. Um, we can get around the COVID situation with a lot of testing. Um, therefore, would you be interested in joining the, uh, the group as an expedition leader, which is 18 people who then manage the 150 participants as well. And I was essentially the, the, the major technical resource for that. Um, and we provided the capacity so people could stream off the vessel as well. So that was the kind of story of how it, really came about and yeah as you can imagine like you say as soon as I got the call through to say Jez is a, a cabin with your name on it we'd like to join the group 
yes, it was a, it was a dream come true. Oh, that's so exciting. So, okay, so tell me, you get to Argentina and then what? I mean, who did you meet and, and what did you guys do? So it was an interesting one. As I mentioned before, it was a, it was a 25-hour round trip. That was fine. Um, Robert met me at Ushuaia Airport um, in Tierra del Fuego. I got off the plane. He, he, he was a great guy. You know, I've spoken to him a lot. He threw my bag in the back of a, a pickup truck, whisked me off to the hotel. And then... Uh, he said, as you said, I, I have a job for you today. I said, okay, that's, that's fine, he said. Um, when can you be ready? So I, I said, well, what's the, what's the job? You know, and he said, well, I'd like you to look at a hike. We need to take the participants on a hike on Friday. So I, I arrived on the Sunday. So he wanted to take the participants on a hike on the Friday before embarking. He said, but we need to spec out a hike, time it, you know, look at logistics. Can you sort that out for us so obviously I said yeah sure give me some time when, when would you when would you like me to look at it he said well can you be ready in 10 minutes <laughs> and I think I think that's when I kind of knew what I was in for for that week prior to the embarkation as part of the expedition leadership team it was you know there were 18 of us there and we all had to pitch in to make sure all of the participants had an amazing time so within 10 minutes of landing I was chained into thermals uh, rucksack was packed camera gear packed and I was whisked off to the bottom of a, the Marshall Glacier, uh, given a hand-drawn map and told to go and figure out a hike for 160 guests uh, four days later. Yeah, So that was kind of my first uh, yeah, experience really with the team. And um, yeah, prior to that, then once the hike was done, we were then in a hotel for three or four days, literally just going through each day, the itinerary, um, yeah, hour by hour, you know, five minute chunks sometimes of what we're going to do with the participants, you know, how we sort of move them around, what checks we need to do. And it was just logistics, logistics, um, logistics yeah, for the first five days. This is beautiful. So today we're doing a cleanup. So we're picking up litter from the beaches. We've got people all over the beaches, you'll see. So the beaches are all here. We've got Climate Force 21 people picking up litter from this. We picked up, Sabani was telling me, we picked up about uh, two tons in the time that they've done it. But this is, uh, this is where we are. And that's a Shwaya down there. That's where the vessel will sail from on Sunday. There's the Marshall Glaciers above it where we were yesterday. Uh, in the background there and the bus is here wow really so you you yeah you have a job to do you're there it's an amazing experience but you have a job to do a hundred percent you know as part of the expedition leadership team, i was i was very privileged to be asked to do that um it but it was it was a full-time job we were up at 5 30 every morning we would be um working right through the day and then we'd be probably finish midnight one o'clock ready for the next day so the, the the days prior to the vessel were were super busy uh, the incumbent provider, we're now going to, SES is now providing the capacity for the vessel. Um, we've got a lot of people interested. We have uh, a lot of school platforms doing feeds. Um, we've got Belron, who are a glass manufacturer, looking at recycling their glass. So they are, uh, there's 20 of them on board the vessel, so they're doing some live streaming back via SES as well. So all in all, fingers crossed I think we're okay but yeah one last look at this before I use all of my roaming charges um, but yeah it does not get better 
Oh than wow! This. So then, tell me, when you guys got on the vessel, what 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 did a typical day look like for you guys? Yeah, so as you can imagine, the excitement soared. Um, we boarded the buses from the hotel on uh, March the twentieth. We then they ferried us down to the dock. The Ocean Victory vessel was there, super impressive vessel. Um, we stood on the dockside, and I think a lot of people there were just, you know, amazed to think that this was really going to happen. We had COVID issues, so trying to make sure that we got one hundred and fifty participants on board, COVID free was very stressful. Every time we did a test, the, you know, you could see the apprehension in people, just please get a, a, a good result. You know, I just want to get on the vessel. So to finally get on the vessel, there was a huge amount of excitement. Um, and then we were, it, was, it was great. We managed to get 148 of the 150 on board the vessel. Unfortunately, I had to leave two people behind. Um, but again, the streaming that SES provided meant that we could stream lectures and we could stream details back to them in the hotel in Ushuaia. So... To go back to the, the question, while we're on the expedition, a typical wake-up call was at around about 6.37, and we had, a, we had a safety officer on board called Jumper, and he would get on the intercom, and it would be, we, we were called Team Inspire, so inspiration. So we would just get on the intercom, and it would be Team Inspire, Team Inspire, Team Inspire. This is your wake-up call. And we would have that at sort of 6.37 o'clock. And the first thing we would do was a COVID test. We had a COVID test every single day. Um, so that was the first thing before breakfast and then it was we were split essentially into two groups so you could only have a limited amount of people leaving the vessel to do a landing in uh, Antarctica so it's a hundred people maximum and that was the reason for the figures that we had and that's the reason for the design of the vessel to be honest is that you can only have 100 people therefore you split into two groups and then we would um, take you know, roughly 80, 90 people down into the mudroom. And the mudroom was where you had your wet boots and your life jackets. You would don those. You would then be taken in groups of 10 down into the, um, where the Zodiacs would leave the boat. And you would then get on a Zodiac, 10 people, and the Zodiac would then take you off to the Antarctic Peninsula for maybe an hour, a couple of hours. Um, you'd have a look around, you maybe do a small hike, take some pictures, and then they would, buzz you back in the Zodiac and then the next group would then uh, swap that in the afternoon and then while the people were on the Zodiacs the other group would be inside the lecture room having lectures or maybe just having some downtime so that was a typical day really but it was the minute you got you know the call to do a landing it was just excitement was soaring through the roof I mean it was a real treat to do a landing. Uh, when, when I spoke to Robert Swan in, in our previous episode he said that Antarctica is a place that you could never really capture with a camera. It's too big, it's too majestic, maybe even too magical. Would you agree with that? And can you maybe describe two or three moments that you had on the trip that you will just never forget? Yeah, and Robert's, Robert's exactly right. I mean, we had, we had photographers and videographers on board. And the, the common message from, from Robert and his son Barney and people who've been there before were saying, Take, take some time out, you know, don't, don't try and photograph everything, don't try and social media everything, you know, take the time to sit there quietly and look at it. And it's interesting, now I've got back, those are the points that I remember. I don't remember the points where I was thinking, wow, I must take a picture. I remember the points of just sitting quietly, looking out into, you know, Nico Harbour, looking out into Pleno Island, you know, sitting at the top of the Cairn on Charco Bay, you know, the, those are the bits I remember. Those instantaneous moments are the pieces that I remember. 
So th there were lots. I mean, yeah, two or three specific moments. I mean, 19 days works out around about 28,000 moments in total. So, and they were all special, you know. I would say to pick two or three is challenging, but yeah, one of them to, to start with probably would be the live feed that we did for Odyssey. Um, this is a, a, a platform for schools um, run by Jenny Cook. And we had the live feed while we were in Nico Harbour. Um, and there it was, it was very, very bad weather. And we planned to sort of be outside for this. Uh, and Jenny was, Jenny, Jenny's live feed was going at 10.30 in the morning and it was going to 1,500 schools. So over 30,000 school children were basically sitting, waiting to see this live feed via SES. Um, the weather closed in at 10.25 and when the weather closes in in Antarctica, it closes in. And we literally couldn't see each other from two metres in front of the camera. So we had to call it around about 10.28. I said, no, this isn't going to work. We have to go. So we literally unclicked everything, grabbed the laptop that was saturated by then, and then ran, literally ran through the vessel. You know, we had one person in front of us getting everybody out of the way. We literally ran straight through the vessel, um, jumped into the library, and at 10.29, I had to kind of sit there soaking wet, trying to reconfigure the laptop, while Jenny and Rob were sitting there trying to dry themselves off. And you could see the, the pressure was building. Everyone was looking at me and it was just, I just had to kind of sit quietly and reconfigure the laptop, reconfigure Teams and Zoom, get the other cameras set up, super quiet and just trying to get it done with as little stress as possible. And at 10.30, literally, I just said to Jenny, okay, you're now live. And there was a big exhale from the whole room. So uh, yeah, that, that was quite a big one. That was a huge sort of moment. And then seeing your first iceberg, that's, that's a pretty special one as well. You know, you get through uh, the, the sort of Drake snake, the 20-foot waves. Then when you do hit the calmer water of Antarctica, you do start to see icebergs. And seeing that first iceberg was pretty special. Well, here we are, finished Drake's Passage. We are now actually see the Antarctica live. So just spin you around, you'll be able to see Land Ahoy. Wow, got the pressure really sounded like it was on for you on that uh, at that time that you had to connect everybody on board. Um, but tell me about the other people that needed to to go or to get online. What messages were they sending out to the world? Yes, yeah, good question. So one of the things we looked at was on, on the vessel was really it, it sounds strange, but with Robert's plan was trying to do a disconnect to connect as well. So even though there were one hundred and fifty participants on board we kind of retain the, the SES capacity more for the official feeds. So we try to kind of say to people, look, yes, you have this capacity, but please try and, you know, you have this time now to connect with other inspirational people. Use that time. So the feeds that we looked at, we did a number of feeds for um, Odyssey. We did, we did Colt. Um, Belron, the windscreen manufacturers, had sent 20 people on the expedition. So we did live feeds for them. We did RTL Luxembourg, we did SES. And then one of the nice things that we did was we provided the, the, the extended internet to the crew. And that was a key thing, really, because the, the crew had been on, it's their season had been six months long. And for them to suddenly have access to 
all of this capacity was amazing for them. And they used it for you know, weather forecasting. They used it to call home prior to sort of leaving the vessel. One of the, one of the big stories that we had was a lady called Olga. She worked in the restaurant and she, uh, she's from Ukraine. And somebody heard, you know, say, oh, Jez, can you get me a coffee? And she suddenly came straight across to me and she asked if I was Jez, the Wi-Fi person. <laughs> I, said, I said, yeah, I'm Jez, the Wi-Fi person, yes. And she straight away, she just held my hand. She says, thank you so much for this capacity and this Wi-Fi. She says, it's the first time since the war started that I've been able to FaceTime with my family and my friends back in Ukraine. And she just stood there holding my hand. You know, it's it's an amazing thing that we could do, you know. So those are the sort of stories where, you know, SES's hashtag is take your story anywhere. But we, we really did that this time, you know. And then with the participants, what we did was we enabled you know, certain people to say, OK, if you wanted to go back and then spread your message, you can have this capacity, you know. We're not going to use it all the time, but it's there now if you want to use it. So we would then set up sessions for them to come and then they, they prepare their, their feed and then we would do a live feed for them as well. And it was really about, you know, multiple different things, you know, how they were feeling, you know, the, the, the climate change that's happening in Antarctica, the 2041 expedition overall. It was lots of different stories that were going out, but it really was enabled by SES. It was an amazing thing to see. There's some of the guys that were all on board as well. This is Luke, tallest man on the boat. So what would you say you've, what was the key thing you've learned from this experience? Ooh, I mean, again, I, I was expecting to see some penguins and icebergs, <laughs> and some nice scenery. I, I completely, yeah, underestimated what I would learn, you know. It's, these things are life-changing, and, and I don't say that lightly, and it probably does sound dramatic, you know, but it, it really was, you know, you're surrounded by so many, you know, different people. We had, we had, you know, someone on there was 13 years old and we had people on there who were 70 years and the, and the wide sort of diversity we had was, was just amazing, you know, and the, the drive and ambition that these people have. And, you know, an example is we had um, Earthwise, uh, Jack from Earthwise, he, he was a YouTuber at sort of 21, just did a gap year, did a bit of YouTubing. And then, you know, it, it transpires after three or four years because he's so so driven he was asked to you know create a movie or a film for cop 26 that was broadcast onto the side of the building in glasgow and he showed this video on the vessel i mean it was stunning i mean these people are, are clever you know innovative inspirational it was just something to see so that was what i learned and then in in sort of terms of tangible things i learned you know spending time with robert and you know, his son Barney, you learn about how to how to tell your story. And I think that was the key thing that, that I literally learned is that people people are interested in people. And that was the big takeaway that I took from, from this is that yes, we when we we're talking about the capacity we provide, we provide, you know, a footprint here, we provide throughput here, we provide equipment here, but it it's what happens to the people, I think, and that's the part that kind of fits it that puts all this together for me. So yeah super inspirational that was really what I learned from the trip and that it's it's okay to make some mistakes you know these people that were on the vessel they tried things they didn't work they they bounced back they were resilient and yeah it was just part of their story so yeah it was amazing to see very inspiring to hear um so what's next for climate force 2041 and do you plan to be part of it 
<laughs> a loaded question there. So, uh, yes, I, I, there are obviously a, a huge amount of follow-ons from this trip. Um, it, the Antarctica project was a success. There's no question about that one. The Climate Force team and SES are now fully engaged to continue with you know environmental projects, both in 2022 and, and onwards. You know, so there's different sort of elements to this. So I'd say SES now reports you know our carbon emissions, and I think this is something that I'll personally be involved with with the SG team is is how we can potentially offset that. And SES does a huge amount of work in the background. I mean, when people read, you know, the, the annual report, you will see that. An example could be how we recycle hardware. You know, what happens to that hardware once it's obsolete? You know, where does it go? How is it disposed of? You know, and then if you look upstream to Elon Musk, for instance, you know, the, the way that we use these reuse, reusable rockets, that's, that, that's a, a good thing, you know, for the business that we can sort of reuse things, reuse equipment. So. This is something I'll get involved with. So we're working directly with Barney Swan, Robert's son, and he has a huge amount of projects with um, the 2041 Climate Force Group. So we're already involved there with Barney to look at how we can connect remote farms, um, to look at improved efficiency on the farms. And then there is a big one that's potentially coming up in December of this year as well with Robert. Um, I'm not going to give too much away because I'd, I'd like people to join the next podcast, but there's a certainly a big, big project happening in December that SES will be part of, um, which, as I say, you can read between the lines, but it does involve the Antarctic. So uh, I'll leave that for a while before we uh, provide more detail. That sounds like a plan. Definitely intrigued. Um, I have just a couple more questions for you, Jez. Um, one is... Where can um, our audience go if they want to see all the pictures and, and clips and um, recorded live feeds from your time down there in Antarctica? Yeah, that's a good question. So I was streaming live from Instagram, <clears throat> excuse me, from the vessel. So I was streaming live from Instagram. Uh, people can follow me at jez underscore Antarctica. There you will see feeds um, from the past three weeks. But then also there's a lot of content that will continue to go on there for that. We'll be creating... Um, presentations for SES, but then also externally for customers. And one of the things we've talked about with the uh, ESG team and SES is having an essential live viewing of a, an external presentation as well. So customers can uh, join this live feed and we'll present live and we'll go through the pictures and the sort of more in finer detail about the expedition. And again, some of the actions that we're going to take away from that. So all of this will be distributed out in the next sort of few weeks when, when I finally get some time to come up for air and uh, put this stuff together. Brilliant. Thanks, Jez. And then I've got my last question, which is a bit of a tough one. How would you describe your trip in one word? Very good question. So I had, I had two words. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, you get two when words. I was on the train. I was on, I was, when I was on the plane, I was thinking... I'm going to, I know I'm going to be asked this question, how was it? <laughs> and I can imagine a thousand people are going to say, how was it? You know, and I would say in the two words that I, that I sort of noted down while I was on the plane coming home was it was beautiful and it was inspiring. Very nice. Well, Jez, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your stories from your time down in Antarctica. I was really dying to hear all about it. No problem at all, Christina. Thanks for your time.
incredible. What a trip. And a brilliant example of the type of stories that we love sharing on this podcast series. Every day we're learning that satellite technology isn't all about the cables, the dishes and the rockets we might think at first. It's about the difference it's making to people, to community, and on this occasion, the planet. I hope you've enjoyed listening to Jez's adventures as much as I have. So do follow this series so that you're notified at the moment the next episode is live. And of course, in the meantime, for more about what we do, visit ses.com.